This is Unbounded, a podcast from Cross Boundary about business leaders overcoming extraordinary challenges in frontier markets. Each episode, we speak to a different entrepreneur and investor about how they are building businesses in markets that are often overlooked. This week, I'm in Lagos talking to Rolake Rosiji, CEO of Jobberman, the single largest job placement platform in sub-Saharan Africa. I first met Rolake in 2019 through our work with off-grid companies in Nigeria under the Power Africa Nigeria Power Sector Program. Rolake was country manager for MCOPA in Nigeria, working hard to increase energy access to underbanked Nigerians through distribution of solar-powered appliances and solar home systems. Rolake has since moved to Jobberman, where she's tackling unemployment in Nigeria as CEO. Over this episode, I'll be discussing with Rolake her experiences on the front lines doing hard things in Nigeria, tackling two of Nigeria's major problems, unemployment and inadequate infrastructure. So Rolake, you grew up in Lagos and got shipped off to boarding school in the UK at age 10. You got your degrees from Durham and the LSE, and launched your career in consulting in the UK before audaciously returning to Nigeria. And your career path in Nigeria spans across the FMCG space, off-grid energy, and now tech-enabled recruitment. What inspired your decision to return to Nigeria? Hi, Timoni, um, and pleasure to be here today. Um, I was born in Lagos, and I think for anyone who's ever been to Lagos, it's a city that you can't shake. So really for me and my brother, who also grew up in the UK, um, we always knew we were coming home. It was never really an option. It was more a question of when. Um, I think coming from such a vibrant city and also just coming home during the holidays when I was at school and at uni in the UK, you can't help but notice there's so much to be done. Everything is moving at such a fast pace. There are a lot of problems to solve. So let's talk a bit more about your career path in Nigeria. What's that journey been like so far? Yeah. Um, yeah, my career path has definitely not been linear. I mean, I actually tried to move back to Nigeria for a good 12 months before anyone would give me a chance. So all the responses I would get were, oh, yeah, you've got really good experience, but it's in the UK. It's not relevant. And I think that kind of surprised me because coming from management consulting, you're kind of told you can move into anything. Um, so actually, my first job in Nigeria happened in a really special way. It was with the Danish embassy in Nigeria. And it was basically because I'd been doing a lot of work in the agri-tech sector with the UK Department of Trade and Investment. And I had been um, exploring why agriculture in Denmark was so um, advanced compared to other European markets. So I basically on LinkedIn just added the ambassador, added a bunch of people who might know him in Nigeria. Um, And then I met up with um, a lady who graciously responded to me, uh, who's a really good friend today. And she um, is the managing director of um, Bo Concept in Nigeria and Pandora Jewelry, two big Danish companies. We had lunch. I told her I wanted to move home. And before I even mentioned the Danish embassy, which was my goal, she brought it up and she said, oh, they're recruiting. I'm going to connect you. So luckily she set up lunch the day after. He gave me a job there and then. And that was my way back. Um, so I know your question's all about the career path, but that was my initial entry. And I think that's something that can happen in Nigeria. And 
can't happen in so many other places in the world where so many things are based on network and people just making the right introduction and being at the right place at the right time. Um, and then after the Danish embassy, I stayed there for about half a year. And Arla Foods was one of my clients. And I was helping them develop a strategy for local milk production. Um, and then they recruited me in-house to be their head of strategy for Africa at a time when they were going through massive expansion across the continent, which was amazing. And Copa hired me from Arla because they needed someone who could um, understand the FMCG space because Mcopa's thinking was in order to sell a solar product, a credit finance product, you need to understand the markets in West Africa. And I stayed with them for, yeah, about two and a half years and then joined Jobberman earlier this year. All right. So it sounds like the off-grid opportunity or the solar opportunity in Nigeria was really compelling. Um, so now let's hone in on Mcopa for a second at the point of joining, what stage of development was Mcopa in um, when you joined as country manager in Nigeria and what was going on in the company at the time? Yeah, so when I joined Mcopa, um, there was nothing really in Nigeria. Um, Mcopa was already a household name in East Africa and had won numerous prizes for pioneering the solar home system space. But in Nigeria, there was nothing going on. They had sent a couple of people over to do some market exploratory work. And the team in London had started working with um, Shell Foundation and DFID um, around some funding to start up the business. But I was the first employee on the ground in Nigeria. So I was basically tasked with setting up the business, understanding the markets, setting up the initial partnerships with um, payments companies and also distribution companies, and just really understanding how the whole market worked in Nigeria and then leading on the product market fit and yeah, beginning the um, pilot in country. Fantastic. Sounds like no easy feat. So based on your experience growing Mcopa in Nigeria, what are some of your views on the off-grid market opportunity in Nigeria? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a really tough experience. I think, you know, if you were speaking to lots of others in the space, they would have the same thoughts, which are, People thought it would be a lot easier than it has been. It's definitely important space. It's a huge opportunity based on various market analysis and target addressable market um, analysis that we undertook. We sized it as 70 million households in Nigeria do not have electricity and an additional like 20 million, I believe, do not have more than four hours um, electricity per day. So the households without electricity and those with underserved capacity is just huge. So for me, this is not being solved by the traditional grid. Therefore, off-grid has to come in somehow. So we know that energy um, and power is a driver of so many other economic indicators. You can't run your factories. You can't run your businesses. Really do believe very strongly in the off-grid um, potential and really glad to see that, yeah, in recent months has been yeah, more players, more investment pouring in, despite the challenges that exist. Okay, so the, the residential and also the commercial market opportunity for off-grid is immense, as you've just mentioned. Um, could we touch a bit on some of the challenges um, with deploying or distributing 
off-grid or solar solar solutions in Nigeria? I would frame them in three buckets. I would say the importation and customs challenge is a big one, the payments collection challenge, and then I'd say the sales and like market intelligence. And actually I'll add a fourth, which is the sales um, logistics and distribution as well. So yeah, I'll say, look, importing solar in itself was a nightmare. I think I remember <laughs> the first container that we brought in took like six months. It was meant to take um, three months end to end and it ended up taking twice as much time. And then I thought the nightmare was over. We finally had our shipment from China and then we were whacked with a massive tax amount from customs, even though we qualified for some solar exemption taxes. So I'll say the whole space around importation, delays in the port in Nigeria, working with customs in Nigeria is a real, um, real challenge. And um, last year, I was actually elected to the Renewable Energy Association of Nigeria board because I got quite active in lobbying for the solar companies in Nigeria because in law, there is a solar exemption. That means that if you are bringing in gen sets that are powered by solar and solar batteries, you should not be paying the same amount of tax as if you're bringing in fossil fuel powered generating sets. However, this is not being complied with in customs in Nigeria, unfortunately. Yeah, so the other issues, payments is one that's been talked about a ton in East Africa. The solar home system players have been able to leverage mobile money systems like M-Pesa. And in Nigeria, that is obviously a very fast-growing space with the massive investment that companies like Paystack um, and Flutterwave and Ope have received. But still, mobile money doesn't operate in the same way as in East Africa. It's not as seamless. It's not attached to each mobile phone. So we really needed to think very hard about how to collect payments, working with agent networks, um, just being innovative. I mean, initially we had to collect cash and then we realized it just wouldn't work at all. So yeah, payments is a big issue. And then I'll say the market intelligence, just kind of knowing where it is that people need these products and where it is that they can actually afford them um, was a big issue. And I think CrossBoundary actually really helped us out on that. And I think CrossBoundary also really helped us out with the payments piece. So yeah, you gave us really excellent analysis on the potential payments partners. And then, yeah, lastly, on the distribution logistics, you know, the FMCG companies that have been in Nigeria for years or even the locally grown ones have kind of completely understood the networks and the universe of markets in Nigeria, where how to approach those markets using distribution or sales partners. Whereas with the solar companies, it's been yeah really tough to navigate that and to figure out how to get into the last mile without having too high costs. So yeah, I'd say those are the kind of the four ma- massive challenges facing the sector. Wow, Ralake, you are clearly no stranger to doing hard things. So just given that you then jumped from solving Nigeria's energy access problem to addressing unemployment in Nigeria, I'm really curious to know what inspired the pivot from off-grid energy to technology-enabled recruitment at Jobberman. Yeah, that's a million-dollar question, which lots of people have been asking me, especially because I still do speak at conferences um, on solar because it's something that I'll always be passionate about because on, until we solve the electricity issue in Nigeria, it's, it's going to be an ongoing challenge. But yeah, so why did I make the change and why did I pivot from, into, from such a different sector into 
technology-enabled um, recruitment and training. Um, I'd say I was kind of sold by Jobberman itself. So I had heard about Jobberman years and years ago when they first started off in like 2008 or so. I was doing my master's in London. And I remember like seeing them on the news and thinking, this is so cool. This is so great that three university students literally are annoyed that you can only get a job in Nigeria if you know someone and if you know the right people. And they have just from their sheer hard work and imagination created this online platform to connect um, university students to jobs. So I kind of love the brand. Um, So when I heard that they were recruiting for a new CEO, I was like, hey, I know I want to stay in tech. I know I want to keep doing impact and mission-driven work. And yeah, it just it just seemed to fit because I was, you know, growing a larger and larger team at Mcopa, and I felt that I could handle the challenge um, of a larger, more mature business. Great. So again, this theme of being compelled by the opportunity definitely runs through your your move to Jobberman. And now, just looking at Jobberman specifically, Jobberman currently sits at the core of addressing Nigeria's unemployment issues. I would love to learn a bit more about how Jobberman addresses this issue of unemployment in Nigeria and where you see the future for Jobberman in Nigeria. Really, Jobberman is kind of like an Indeed Jobs or Monster Jobs um, for Africa. So really, we are an online marketplace and our product is jobs and training programs online. So um, at its most basic we really just go where companies are recruiting um, and help them find the right staff, whether it's just by pure listings on our website or using our offline team, which is more hands-on and more like headhunting. Um, so how we actually solve unemployment is, you know, more of a recent thing with Jobberman. So I'd say it started about a year ago when Jobberman entered a big partnership with the MasterCard Foundation um, with the goal of, placing 3 million Nigerians in jobs by 2025 and training up 5 million Nigerians in soft skills and employability skills by 2025. Um, So what we are doing now is kind of pivoting from being purely an online marketplace to being more of a program manager um, of large scale programs like this. So we're doing, yeah, lots of hard, hard work around figuring out who are the companies that are hiring big amounts of people, where are the big graduate recruitments going on, where are vocational skills needed, not just people who've got university and tertiary education, but, you know, people with vocational skills, plumbing, artisanal work, and helping get those who need these jobs at where the opportunity is. And we're basically using our online platform as far as possible to do that because we're able to um, reach um, people who might otherwise not be aware of these opportunities online. And we're also working with the Nigerian Youth Service Corps, which is an annual program that every Nigerian has to go through um, when they graduate um, from uni. And we're working, and they operate across the entire country. And basically, um, each Nigerian is encouraged to go to another ethnic zone where there's a different language, where there's a different culture, and it's really about fostering um, nationhood. Um, So we are working with this renowned institution to train 120,000 of the students passing through this year and 
to help them um, access the jobs on our platform. So we're, we're doing a mix of large-scale placements and also large-scale trainings. And we're particularly interested in the sectors where we see a massive skills gap and where we see a potential for really um, large employment over the next few years in Nigeria. We are now going to hear about the breadth of investment opportunities in Nigeria from an investor with years of experience in the region. We connected with Tony Emmanuel Olubake, an investment director at Novastar Ventures. Tony has over 14 years of experience investing and advising in growth markets with a focus on West Africa. Tony is energized by supporting entrepreneurs who are working to address a range of complex issues across Africa with commercial solutions. Prior to Novastar, Tony built a track record of identifying and partnering with dynamic, fast-growing businesses across West Africa through work at reputable investment firms, including Acumen and Sahel Capital. So Tony, the challenges within the Nigerian economy cannot be overemphasized. And in the same vein, the opportunities can also not be overemphasized. And so in light of these challenges, I'm curious to understand how, from your vantage point as an investor, investors can creatively collaborate with businesses that are actively leveraging or taking advantage of these opportunities in the market. Hi, Timoni. Um, Thanks a lot for the opportunity to to join the the wonderful podcast. And it's an interesting question. I think for Novastar, the perspective that we take is we are not just providing capital, but we are really investing in partnerships. The entrepreneurs that we invest in, the the teams they build are partners that we're there to support in as many ways as we can. And it really varies depending on what the company needs, the stage the company is at as well. You know, the, the profile of the entrepreneurs, sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is ensure that people have the capital they need. And so even if it's not just the capital that you're providing as an investor, are you able to attract the right sort of investors to partner along with you or after you've come in? And so, you know, if if it's a company that's more mature and they need to attract bigger tickets, are you able to help with, with meaningful connections to investors that are able to write the bigger tickets. Um, If it's a company that is doing a lot of expansion into new markets, do you have relationships in the new markets? Do you have experience in the new markets that helps you to to sort of shorten the learnings and just really help them to take off in growth, which, you know, it's easy to hear that a company has opened up in 13 markets. But when you think of what it is to do that, not just legally, but operationally to get into new markets and to get traction, to hire a team. Sometimes you're setting up boards in some of these new markets. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, that needs to be done quickly, high-risk decisions that need to be taken. So being able to partner with the companies as they're going through those processes can be quite important. Um, and, and really just even being available because especially for a venture invent, investor, um, pace is an important thing. The pace of growth is important. And so it's not just being able to help, but being accessible and being able to provide support quickly. So yeah, it, it, there are different ways that depend on a mix of the the unique investor and how they're set up, but also the, the, the company, the stage the company is at, the sector the company is in, 
the particular sort of phase the company is going through. Um, Novastar has an interestingly diverse team where, you know, there's a mix of people who have been in entrepreneurship, people who have been investors, um, our founding partners between them have over 50 years experience on and off the continent. And so we really, when we make investment decisions, we're looking at people that we can be value adding partners to as many ways as, as, as they will need on their journey. Incredible. So you, you make a really great point about the importance and effectiveness of partnership in facilitating high returns and business growth and expansion. And it's also worthy of note that even in light of the global pandemic, the theme of partnerships has definitely been quite strong and significant in controlling and navigating the pandemic. And so I'm curious to know, in in light of the pandemic, how has the investment landscape in Nigeria changed or evolved? Um, It's an interesting question, Simone. Sometimes people getting comfortable, especially for the first time, um, making investments in the space could, could take quite a while. COVID sort of initially exacerbated that. Obviously, people then switching their investment processes to being less in-person to some degree and more virtual to the degree that it could be. But what we saw coming out of that, and I think early 2021, we saw in quick succession, Paystack getting acquired by Stripe, Flutterwave um, closing its Series C for a billion dollars. And those things were, especially the Paystack acquisition, was kind of like a vote on the ecosystem okay, it's not a flash in the pan. You have a major operating company, not even an investor, take strategic position. And then Flutterwave's announcement shortly after as well, which was an investment, not an acquisition. But those those things, in addition to people coming out of the pandemic with a bit of clarity, working with their existing portfolio companies and really looking back at, you know, how they wanted to engage with whoever they they were going to engage with geographically or the sectors and so on, And I think people came out with a lot of resolve. And it was interesting to see that prior to 2020, the the hotspot for um, venture capital investing in Africa had been Nairobi, in East Africa in particular. And it was through this period that it actually switched to Nigeria. Fantastic. So lastly, Tony, you are a seasoned investor in Nigeria and really in the West African region as a whole. And so do you have any pieces of advice that you would offer to fellow investors that are currently operating in Nigeria or in the region or even looking to operate in Nigeria and the wider region? I mean, I think for people already engaging in the region, they know the region they know Nigeria, people, there are, there are a lot of hurdles that they've already crossed to take that dive and start investing in the space. For people looking in, I would say, you know, it's an interesting time in the ecosystem and we're still very early. And so there's far more ahead of us. And I think, you know, when you look, for instance, at the, the telecom sector, it's an interesting one because you have four companies that sort of dominate mobile network space. MTN was not the first mover, but really the one who got accelerated first or grew fast first. And I always find it interesting that the the small guy still has, I think, over 20 million users. And so it just gives a picture of the Nigerian market where um, it's a hard market for any one person to dominate in anything. And so it means that 
that even where you see a first mover, there could still be opportunities for another one, another two, another three, maybe even more depending on the sector. And so I encourage people to engage, um, both people in, in the ecosystem keep engaging, people who are looking at it to start engaging. If you're not familiar with the, the ecosystem, then I would say that you should start by engaging with people who are familiar with the ecosystem so that you, you, you don't have to learn the hard way as a lot of people have already done. I think there's, a, there's really a lot of opportunity depending on the risk appetites that gets defined in different ways that different investors have. There are different things they can look at. I think the, the other thing about investing in Nigeria this year in particular is people will have an eye on the election coming in 2023. People always have an eye on the currency and um, looking for stability around that tends to be problematic for particularly later stage investors that are taking on less risk, but then expect they, they require more stability to get the sort of returns that, that they require if they're coming from offshore. Fintech, um, energy access, healthcare, agriculture, education, um, broad range, but really across the whole the set of key goods and services, there are going to be opportunities to invest in Nigeria at almost any given point in time. So Ronak here, just taking a step back now and looking at the technology or digital opportunity in Nigeria, which you touched on briefly, how do you how do you view the technology opportunity in Nigeria and what are some of the challenges in running a tech-enabled business in Nigeria? Yeah, so the opportunity for technology-enabled businesses, um, I think, you know, the kind of the buzzword on everyone's lips right now is you know, purely, not purely, but mainly around fintech. And we've seen just very big investments um, in this space in the last year. And Nigeria's now become the, the leading country in Africa for fintech investments. Um, so I am very bullish on the potential for payments in the fintech space here. Also, as I said, solar and renewable overall, I think there's a really big um, opportunity. And yeah, I really believe there'll be continued investment and more and more companies trying to tackle um, these issues. We've also recently seen, going back to the payment space, the telecoms businesses, the two largest in Nigeria, MTN and Airtel, received their payment service banks licenses about a couple of weeks ago, meaning that they can now operate as mobile money players, um, so I think it's an exciting time and I don't think it's a time that's going to last forever. So I, I really am expecting in the next couple of years, more and more growth um, in payments and fintechs, in telecoms, and then also in the renewable energy space um, in Nigeria. And then, you know, with Jobaman, what we're doing is using an online platform to just access as many people as possible and, you know, the main drivers of us being able to grow is access to internet connection and access to smartphones. And yeah, there is increasingly positive trends in the number of Nigerians who have smartphones and who can get online. But we also have to be honest that there's a ton of Nigerians who are just very far away from being able to afford a smartphone. Um, feature phone usage is way higher. We faced a lot of challenges trying to train people on our online trainings purely because they just can't get internet, either because internet isn't provided where they live in these rural areas, 
all because they can get internet and they can't afford it. So we've had to look into zero rating websites and just figuring out how to access those um, who really need our online trainings. So yeah, I think some parts of technology, we're going to see a lot of growth where there's a lot of investment, um, like fintech and payments and renewables. And then other parts of technology where perhaps there's, there's, they're not as sexy right now. People aren't really looking at them like edtech and online trainings. It's going to be a lot harder and have to rely um, yeah, on ingenuity and figuring out just how um, to scale up um, these businesses. Sounds like such an exciting time to be in the Nigerian market um, in spite of all of the challenges. So at Cross Boundary, we are trusted advisors to investors across frontier markets, including Nigeria. And typically when we hear the word investor, we tend to think more about the providers of capital, whether that's debt or equity. And I think this conversation has really shed light on a different class of investors like you who don't necessarily provide capital, but provide your skills, talent, and expertise to enable growth and expansion of businesses. So against that backdrop, what's your advice to investors evaluating investment opportunities in the Nigerian markets, just based on your own experience operating businesses in Nigeria? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think investors coming into Nigeria really need to move away from, let's say, the European um, or American mindset of investment, and we need to be would need to be a lot more open. Look at companies at a much earlier stage. I would say the need for seed capital and early stage capital is really great in Nigeria. And investors should try and bet on people, not necessarily on whether or not they see a proven business model already. A a lot of potential businesses in Nigeria, look, fintech started in the same way. It was a few very smart people who just started with, you know, their own initial capital and investment from friends and family and crowdfunding and it took a while before they were noticed and the real investors actually took a risk on them. So my, my advice to investors coming in, especially to seed stage and early stage, is bet on the individuals, bet on those who understand the market, bet on the teams and those who've shown they've got the grit and resilience to overcome challenges. It's not just about investing debt or equity. It's also investing technical advice and hands-on help whether it's CFO type skills, legal advisory, advisory on tax, and a a lot of the work that actually Cross Boundary does and where we were really grateful at MCOPA when we were starting out in Nigeria to receive, you know, just that understanding of the market space, of the potential payment partners, of where potential communities are that actually needed solar, all technical advice that small um, founders, founders without a lot of investment can't access on their own. That's that's all really valuable. Um, so I think investors should be yeah more aware of the technical help they can give and not only the capital. Fantastic advice, Rolake. And I'm glad that you clearly practice what you preach in that, you know, you've advised investors to take a bet on Nigeria as you took a bet on Nigeria. And even with thinking about the risks, you're clearly very aware of the downsides and the challenges involved in operating a business in Nigeria. But here you are still taking a bet on Nigeria and on Nigerian businesses. 
just thinking about the past year and the past year and a half really and thinking about Nigeria where you've you've operated businesses and where you've continued to build and grow your career it's impossible to not mention one the impact of the COVID-19 crisis or the pandemic really on operating a business in Nigeria and also against the pandemic the reality of Nigeria's most recent political unrest or political crisis I would love to know how you were able to, or how you've been able to embody resilience in the face of challenges brought on by the pandemic and also the political situation in Nigeria. Yeah, um, great question. I think, you know, for everyone around the world, it's been such a tough year and a half. Nigeria has been even tougher with the yeah political unrest we had last October. So I think, yeah, the resilience it takes is, yeah, partly being resilient and courageous, but also just knowing that this is where you want to be and you actually care about being here, not only when things are going well. Yeah, and then, you know, more about COVID, perhaps how did I deal with COVID in terms of the business? And um, Coco was actually really excellent at this and made very quick decisions. We immediately had people start working from home, even though we were a business that relied on um, foot soldiers and sales guys going around to people's homes to sell and installing in people's homes. So we made the decision initially that no one would go out selling. And then Copa created a fund where all the managers and senior managers could contribute to the field sales agents so that their salaries would be covered while they couldn't make any commission or um, earnings on their sales. So we implemented that as well in Nigeria. And then We also, I personally started an NGO at the time to reach communities where households earned their money kind of on daily work and they couldn't work during um, the lockdown. And a lot of our sales agents at MCOPA lived in those communities. So since they couldn't go out and sell, a number of them actually volunteered with my NGO and said, hey, we're going to let you know who in our communities is going hungry because they can't go and clean someone's house today or they can't drive the bus today because the bus is stopped running and I created a online platform again to connect people who needed some money or some food with people who could give and it was a seamless it's it's still up there actually but it's it's neighbor neighborhoodlink.ng and so anyone who wanted to give could go online review profiles of families who are in need and then just send them money directly or ask us to send them food packages and for me that was yeah a really beautiful time because I had people in my team who you know were normally hustling to sell solar who were suddenly like hey we need help in our community people aren't working people aren't earning please can you help us out Um, we will go out we will tell you we will help verify these people and then we used technology to make it happen and yeah that that made me really proud yeah so I think resilience overall is just yeah, figuring out your purpose and knowing, hey, this is where I'm meant to be in the good or in the bad, and I'm just going to make the most of it. Well, Rolake, this has been an incredibly fascinating and insightful conversation. It's been great learning about your career path thus far in Nigeria, and I cannot wait to see all the, the impact that you have in this country. Thank you, Timoni. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much to Rolake Rosiji and Tui Imano Olubake for appearing on this episode. Thanks also to our producer, Ned Sedgwick, and Steph Masucci for the music. 